0: Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. And I'm Amber. And I am just really quickly adjusting the microphone because sometimes my perfectionist tendencies come back.
1: (laughs) Boob. Boob.
0: So uh, we are going to be telling you some tales from the old timey newspapers this week. I know I have some really good stuff. Amber, do you have some really good stuff?
1: I honestly cannot remember. I'm sure some (laughs) of it is entertaining. Well, if you pick it, I'm sure it is. I'm going to start off with a bang.
0: Okay. Like a gang bang? Um, yeah, a little bit. Oh, cool. Naked girl, 15, dances in snow with nude boys. That has to be cold. High school petting cult is bared. (laughs) Oh, I see what they did there. Yeah. Nude dancing, this is in Toledo, Ohio, by the way. Nude dancing in the snow by two high school boys and a 15-year-old girl today was under investigation by the federal grand jury here. The jury is already sifting a booze and petting orgy of Scott High School pupils. A wild dance to Bacchus in the snowdrifts of the main streets, when the son of a prominent banker and another boy dared a freshman high school girl to strip off her clothes and take part, which she did without further ado, shocked late pedestrians into calling police, it was revealed. The flapper admitted that a luxurious apartment has been maintained in a downtown building by the financier's son as a gathering place for a petting cult composed almost entirely of Libby High School pupils. New details of the petters of 1925 shocked the staid fathers of another generation in the federal jury's continued probe of a Scott High School Thanksgiving Eve party. The party started tamely enough in Collingwood Hall, witnesses said, but soon bootleggers appeared, and with them, a flood of liquor. To the syncopation of a saxophone sextet, the schoolboys and girls grew giddy and giddier under the influence of champagne, gin, and scotch whiskey. Soon, a battle royale started over whose sweetie was whose, and in 15 minutes, the hall was a wreck. Police who tried to interfere were thrown headlong down the stairs and into the street. Oh my! When the weary musicians showed a tendency to slow up the wild cacophony of the dance, pocket flasks and drinking cups were flung at them. Wow. Ambitious petters, all in their teens, found no comparative privacy in the hall for their spooning. They promptly broke into the janitor's living rooms downstairs, and when he objected, threw him out and broke up his furniture. One of the bootleggers who furnished the liquor to the children has been indicted and sentenced to Atlanta, and the jury declares all responsible for the party, regardless of social rank, will be punished to the law's limit. So it did come before um, a judge uh, the following January, and uh, the back-to-nature movement among high school students, which resulted in two boys and a girl stripping off all their clothing and driving down Manhattan Boulevard during a snowstorm, is at an end. After consulting with officials, Judge Austin probated the five youths involved to the custody of their parents and ordered the downtown apartment, which they had maintained as a petting palace, closed. The students told the judge that they staged the Adam and Eve party on a dare.
1: Wow, that is a doozy. I know, right? (laughs) From the headline on, it just keeps on giving. (laughs) So, mine is not as good, but mine is also in Ohio in the 20s. I was going to start with four women at bar and plot to kill husband of one. Ooh, Caber Trial starts today at Cleveland. Mrs. Ava Catherine Caber and her daughter, Marion McArdle... Arrested in New York, June 5th will begin their fight for life tomorrow in the old courthouse at Cleveland, Ohio, when their trial for the murder of Daniel Caber, Mrs. Caber's husband, begins. This is just the first paragraph. So, you would assume she is married. It is her husband. Her daughter isn't on the plot. Isn't that her dad? Maybe? Maybe stepdad? Maybe stepdad. Possibly, actually, her dad, though. So I thought that was really unique. So charged with Mrs. Caber in the indictment are her aged mother, Hmm. Mrs. Mary Brickle, so three generations of the ladies of the family. Keep it in the family, you know. And an Italian fortune teller named Erminia Colavito, accused of conspiracy to kill. The four women will have to face as remarkable an array of pretrial evidence as has ever confronted an accused murderer. Before the first juryman was selected, the murder had been traced step by step in all the newspapers of the country, following statements from material witnesses. Mrs. Caber was a woman of wealth and social position in Cleveland. Her daughter, Marianne McArdle, was a student at Smith College. Two years ago, Daniel Caber, Mrs. Caber's husband, was murdered in his bed, presumably by burglars. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Armenia Colavito, who alleges she was employed by Mrs. Caber to hire assassins to kill Caber, confessed. Her statement to the authorities was followed by a confession from Mrs. Brickle, Mrs. Caber's mother, who was in the Caber suburban home when the murder occurred. So she was there for the murder, which is awkward. Uh, Mrs. Caber's defense will be temporary insanity. Naturally. Yeah, with a murder plot that includes three generations of your family. Absolutely, yeah. Makes yeah. sense.
0: It was a temporary insanity that caused us to plot.
1: And <laughs> do. And then after he was dead, I felt so much better. <laughs> I have one that um, I was looking for
0: articles that used the word petting. So that's why I have two petting in a row. Oh, okay. Um, it usually seems to mean, like, as far as I can tell, some, like, Making out, some groping, you know, fondling. Um, I just don't understand what exactly it refers to in this particular article. Wives have weakness for petting husbands. The trouble with the average American man is his selfish desire to do all his own petting. He has managed to make a virtue of it, too. But as a matter of fact, the nicest females have a weakness for doing a little petting, too. They ought to be indulged. The man who hogs all the family petting is bound to become altogether too bumptiously virtuous and regard himself as the one indispensable person. The sort of wife who can rely upon being missed most is the one who does her full share of petting. When her husband comes home and has to hang up his coat, mend his own shirt, wear holy socks, and break in a new cook, he loves her with a devotion that is uncanny. And the trouble with the man who does his own petting is that he almost invariably discovers someone who insists upon petting him otherwhere and finds he really likes it. The other woman in the case is usually a genius at petting. That is her long suit. Otherwise, there would rarely be another woman in the case.
1: Huh. That was
0: 1915 in the Cleveland County Enterprise. And I was just very,
1: um... Yeah, that's not the same kind of... Petting, I don't think. But he's talking about finding another woman to, to help with the petting. And yeah, it's just very,
0: I do think that the word probably evolved over time and probably just meant more like caring for someone, both like- Darning th- their socks. Darning their socks, taking care of them like in, in the home sense. And then eventually became like, you know, grab a boob, etc.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I have a an old timey joke Ooh, for you. These are always horrible. I know. This <laughs> this is from 1921. And it's called His Business. She. I understand that Judge Brown is breaking up housekeeping. He. That can't be. He's very busy these days deciding divorce cases. She. Well, isn't that what I said? <laughs>
0: I actually have uh, these particular features that were in one paper, Tom Sims Says. I tried looking up Tom Sims, just did a cursory search. There was a Tom Sims that actually invented snowboarding. Uh, he was born in 1950, so this wasn't him because this was, it was this early 20th century, but it's just little one-liners kind of that generally tend to be sexist in nature. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm just gonna be sprinkling these throughout uh, for funsies. So Tom Sims says, driving a wife or a horse too much may make them throw a shoe. No. <laughs> now, let's uh, have a little bit of a uh, whiplash. Patsy, Airedale pup, adopts baby chick. Aww. Oh, 1924 in the Daily Ardmorite. Okay. <laughs> but this was from Heinz, California. Patsy, a male Airedale pup belonging to Paul Crook, has adopted a baby chicken which hatched out several days before the other eggs on which its natural mother was setting. The chick ignores its mother, insisting upon being mothered
1: by Patsy. That is adorable. A little bit of whiplash for you. Yeah. (laughs) I have a fun one. Writ for Joseph Cohen, Puzzles Warden Laws. So this is in New York, Warden Laws of Sing Sing Prison is in a quandary as to how to comply with the writ of habeas corpus received at the prison today, calling for the body of Joseph Cohen in the General Sessions Court, Manhattan, on Tuesday morning as a witness. There are no less than five Joseph Cohens in the prison at the present time, and not one of these had an initial. Oh, Interesting. Oh, a little bit of a mystery. I, I really wish I would have thought to follow up on that to see if he had found his Joseph Cohen or showed up with five.
0: It's funny that you have had a mystery next because I have a mystery next for you. Okay. Uh, Fort Worth Telegram, 1924. Human heart found in crack in street. Huh. Actually in Sacramento, as it turns out. A heart that surgeons say may be that of a human with two nails driven through its center and carefully wrapped and sealed in an earthen crock was found in the center of a street here today. The nails were in the
1: form of a cross. So somebody thought they killed a vampire from the sounds of it. So it's either that
0: or some sort of like religious sacrifice.
1: Oh, I like that. Some sort of religious thing. I have a religious thing for you. Okay. Husband too busy to save wife on hunger strike. Oh, Danville, Illinois, January 9th of 1921. Ernest Harrington was in his kitchen pouring over the accounts of his little poultry store while 14 members of the church of God knelt at the bedside of his wife to ask his salvation. Mrs. Sadie Harrington is on the 42nd day of her hunger strike until Ernie's soul was saved. They're making me worse instead of better, said Harrington. Before my wife started fasting, she helped me on the books at the store, and I never had to work on Sunday. Now it takes me all the Sabbath to figure up my accounts.
0: (laughs) Oh, the wonderful irony. I have a really uh, interesting... Example in Living Frugally here. Oh, good. So this was uh, in 1913, Girl Breaks Record for Low Living Cost. Ithaca, New York. The record in low cost of living, which a Cornell freshman set by living on 85 cents a week last winter, has been broken by Clara S. Lois. Lois? Lois, sure. Of Tawanda, Pennsylvania, who claims to have lived at the rate of 50 cents a week for her food for the last 20 weeks. She is a student of the violin at the Ithaca Conservatory. Her daily menu is a cup of tea, two slices of bread with peanut butter, and a cup of cocoa for breakfast. One boiled potato with dairy butter and two slices of bread with peanut butter for dinner. As an occasional treat on Sundays, she has had a few tomatoes and occasionally an egg, but all within the $10 limit for 20 weeks. Miss Lewis is 5 feet tall and weighs 115 pounds and is in the best of health despite her restricted fare. She won a scholarship in the conservatory, and although she might have received assistance from her parents, she has preferred to educate herself without any help. So the uh, relative worth, thanks to measuringworth.com, of 50 cents is uh, spent on a purchase $15.80 or $29.99 today.
1: Wow. Um, So
0: she's either living on about $16 or about $30 a week.
1: That's still... Crazy impressive.
0: Yeah. And basically, she's essentially just eating peanut butter and bread. Yeah, Yeah, sure. She has a a cup of tea and a potato in there sometimes. Jeez, oh man.
1: I can't imagine that she is actually healthy.
0: No, no. I mean, this is 1913 that they're saying that she's healthy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Occasionally on Sundays, I'll have a tomato. (laughs) Remember,
0: remember we did the, the fasting episode. With Starvation Heights out in Washington. They can that live was, for a long
1: time without nutrients. Yeah, that was
0: around that time, and they were
1: fasting babies, for God's sakes. That was a horrible episode that I would like to forget. Sorry, I brought it back up then. Oh my goodness. Uh which one do I want to do? Do I have any regarding food? Hmm. That's alright. We'll go with this one. Okay husband believed dead returns but vanishes again with two husbands mrs barker pearson finds herself today in a situation that few have dreamed of and even fewer have experienced the return of charles toops for 13 years believed dead her first husband has thrown her well-ordered life into chaos and all she can do is to wonder what to do Mrs. Pearson, wife of a jewelry craftsman and mother of his four-year-old son, answered the doorbell of her home yesterday and came face-to-face with the man she believed dead, her former husband. There was a short talk, a reference to their son Adrian, 17, who was in the Navy. Toop said the son had told him where his mother might be located and then suddenly, without further ado, turned and walked out of Mrs. Pearson's life as suddenly as he had re-entered it. (laughs) Mrs. Pearson says she identified clothing and articles in the pockets thereof taken from a drowned man 13 years ago as the property of her husband. Believing the man's dead, she remarried in
0: 1907.
1: Okay, so do we think that the disappeared husband just
0: found a convenient corpse that could be identified as him, or made a convenient corpse that could be identified as him?
1: That is probably the best question of all of this, but also, like, why? Why, after 13 years, you're like, you know what? I want to fuck with my ex-wife. Yeah, right? I'm just going to go say hi, just for a minute.
0: <laughs> I think once you've faked your own death, it's officially, the, you're, it's official. You're not really quite mentally stable, So we can't really have specific expectations as to your behavior.
1: You're going to do what you're going to do. I really (laughs) wish there was more of, like, what the conversation was. That's what I'm doing now. had a brief conversation about what. Like, I'm sure her side of the conversation was, where the hell have you been? Oh, my God, you're not dead? But, like, (laughs) I really want to know what he said. Like, he just walked up and be like, you got old. (laughs) I thought that would happen. Can you just imagine? She must have thought he was a ghost. Yeah.
0: I've got a kind of similar one. Dead. Quotation marks around that. Fiance is nabbed by police. This is in Chicago. Alan H. Thompson lost his courage when he decided to break his engagement to marry Miss Elsie Ludwig of Manitowic, Wisconsin. He did not dare to face her and tell her his decision. So he decided to tell her he was dead. He sent her this telegram from Chicago, the telegram purporting to come from I.A. Spencer, his friend. Allen, seriously injured. Four ribs broken. We'll write le- later. Curly. Next, he sent a postcard signed Curly, which Miss Ludwig knew to be Spencer's nickname. It read, Miss Elsie Ludwig. I regret to say that Allen H. Thompson died tonight at 10.25 p.m. at the home of his aunt." of injuries received on the boat. Burial on Sunday at 2 p.m. He was conscious to the last, or sorry, unconscious to the last. Please send money in your care to Mrs. Alfred, Mr. Alfred Spencer Curley, gives an address, in Chicago, care of F.M. Marvin. His insurance, about $500, will be paid over to you as soon as the company settles, as the policy was made over to you. His money goes toward funeral. We'll write particulars Sunday. This sudden and startling news unnerved Miss Ludwig at first, and she wept. The wedding day had been set for October 20th. Then she began pondering over the insistent demand for money, and it seemed strange to her, too, that she was not asked to come to the funeral. She reported her suspicions to Henry G. Denny, chief of police of Sheboygan, not far from Manitowoc. Chief Denny was at that moment directing Anton Herman, one of his detectives, to go to Chicago in search of a deserter from the army. Herman was given the additional assignment of investigating Thompson's death. Herman reported the case to Captain Halpin, chief of detectives, and Thompson and Spencer were arrested. Thompson was charged with using the mails to defraud. Wow. So I think they characterized it a little generously in the beginning when they say he lost his nerve.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Because it seems like this was all meant to be a scam from the
1: beginning. It sure does. It sure does. So, I have a fun typo for you. Okay. Heat-crazed cat bites, sends two to hospital. Michael Rosello, 22, 400 East 18th Street, and Arello Marino, 17... Nineteen Seventy Six Second Avenue were removed to Flower Hospital yesterday, suffering from injuries received when they were attacked by a cat, evidently maddened by the heat. Both men were bitten on the... Stops. It stops. They forgot to write <laughs> the rest of the article. Where were they bitten? I was expecting it to be like a misspelling or
0: something that somehow, like, okay, um, they meant to write arms, but they accidentally put anus.
1: No, they (laughs) literally just, they forgot (laughs) they were writing an article and just stopped and went to, Heat sufferer, Miss Margaret Rudin, 34, (laughs) was overcome by the heat yesterday at the foot of West 33rd Street. I'm like, where were they bitten? <laughs> I I realize this is 1921 and probably nobody knows, but I would really love to know where a cat could bite two mostly grown men to send them both to the hospital.
0: Set that one aside and I'm going to look at it later because if it was syndicated, um, it'll be in other papers and maybe they didn't forget to write where they were. Um.
1: That is a fantastic idea.
0: So uh, well, we'll take a look at that because I've been able to find some other ones that were syndicated that were either like badly printed in one paper or missing very vital words, whatever.
1: Like where they were written. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll see entire lines transposed so that you have to like mentally move the line like three lines down. You're like. Oh wait, that that sentence doesn't make sense. But it makes sense if I move this line down here.
1: Yeah, uh, well, and there was no continuation. But I did check like the the other columns next to oh, it. Oh yeah, because
0: sometimes that'll happen too. Yeah,
1: absolutely nothing.
0: <laughs> On the nothing, yeah. Hmm. Um, preferred hair to runaway husband. Me too. <laughs> when confronted with the alternative of keeping her wealth of raven hair. Or running a chance of losing her husband forever, Mrs. Fanny Klein of Cleveland decided to favor in favor of her hair. She has been deserted by her husband and was about to start on his trail, attired as a man, when she realized that she would have to cut off her hair to complete the disguise. Then her nerve failed her. A little bit of a reverse O. Henry there.
1: Ah, uh, which one do I want to give you? <laughs> I don't want to do that one yet. I'll save that one. Let me find a good one for you. I don't know if I have anything about hair. Ooh, how about this? Child's head cut off by screw of landing plane. You you were way too excited uh, about that. <laughs>
0: way too excited.
1: The whirling propeller of a huge airplane landing yesterday at the old Gutenberg racetrack, North Bergen, New Jersey, killed Felix Busnuski, something like that. 7 as the lad ran directly in front of the descending plane in an effort to escape from it. The boy's head was virtually cut from his shoulders. poor baby. James S. Kelly, pilot of the machine, 110 East 90th Street, was held by the North Bergen police for manslaughter. His passenger, David J. King, 28 Paddington Avenue, was detained as a material witness. Both are former Army pilots and both live in Manhattan. Many airmen now used the old racetrack as a landing point. The two former Amy Army aviators were making a flight from Connecticut to New York and had selected the track for their stopping place. A number of small boys were playing in the track enclosure. Among them was Busesniewski, whose home was at 549 23rd Street, West New York. The boys scattered as the big machine came near the field. Felix ran the wrong direction while his playmates ran away from the airplane he went directly into it and the propeller still whirling caught him squarely on the neck oh oh gosh i know i have some really happy ones for you today yeah
0: yeah that was um that that really was a mood booster right there i have more uh, i've got hard luck in bunches from 1914 With only a bad case of nerves, Mrs. Martha Reese of Pittsburgh has survived a notable series of misfortunes within the past four months, of which these are the chief ones. House burned down while she was at a picnic, husband arrested for setting fire to the building, her brother arrested to answer charge of murder in the connection with the death of another brother 22 years ago, insurance money paid for loss of her home, stolen from her. Mrs. Reese is wondering what is going
1: to happen next.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's that's a bad couple months.
1: That is. <laughs> so her husband burnt their house down.
0: Yes. And, and her, her brother murdered another brother 22 years prior.
1: I, I'm going to bet that the husband also ran off with the insurance money.
0: Or the brother. Or one, the brother, I was going to say. One of the two of them is like Bell money. She's not surrounded by great people. The people around her are not making the best choices and clearly haven't been for a couple decades.
1: Mm, yeah. So let me tell you a quick story about Miss Lillian Birnbaum, a Brooklyn student at the Cornell University Summer a- Agricultural School, an expert swimmer. She lost her life yesterday trying to save Miss Dora Berger, 21 1408 Franklin Avenue, the Bronx. While Miss Berger, scarcely able to swim at all, was resuscitated by physicians after being taken from a swimming pool. The pool is 15 feet deep. Lillian, um, oh, sorry, 15 feet deep and is located in Fall Creek Gorge near the University Powerhouse. Miss Birnbaum, Miss Henrietta Drute, and Miss Berger went swimming together. Miss Berger was soon in distress, and the Brooklyn girl went to aid her. Miss Drute saw them struggling in the water and called to some men from the powerhouse to help them. Both young women were taken from the water. And the pull motor applied. So, I don't know if that's like... Pull motor... P-U-L-M-O-T-O-R? Yeah.
0: I think it's like an early, like, proto... Um, what's the thing that shocks you? You know?
1: Oh, okay. So, efforts, I
0: think. That's, that's... That
1: makes sense. Mm-hmm. Efforts to restore Miss Birnbaum failed. She was 22, the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Maurice Birnbaum of Marcy Avenue, Brooklyn. So um, she, she was a, a successful student and an, a great swimmer. Saw her friend struggling, tried to rescue her, and they both drowned. A lot of the times that'll happen, yeah. E- except the friend was resuscitated, and unfortunately mm. she was not. I've
0: got um, another Tom Sims Says. Tom to Sims, That's hard to say. It is. Tom Sims Says, uh, to preface my next one. Tom Sims says, there are so many ways to get in trouble and so few to get out. We need that on a shirt for you. Yep. And then I have this lovely story. This is from uh, Wilkes-Barre, PA. Woman whipped 20 men. Armed with a billiard cue, Mrs. Frank Shalasky, aged 50 years of Wilkes-Barre, PA, drove a force of 20 workmen from her property because she claimed they were placing a curb there. When officers arrived, Mrs. Shalaski gave them battle and managed to make her escape after they had slipped handcuffs on her. Later, she was found and placed under arrest.
1: Wow. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Tom Sims is right about some things. Well, I'm going to read you something that uh, made me giggle. (laughs) Girl of Golden West makes better student than her male rival. Ooh! Shocking, I know. (laughs) <laughs> this is uh, from July of 1921. Men haven't a monopoly on brains after all. A survey of colleges in the Middle West, which is hilarious, Middle West, mm. I, it's weird to see it like that, shows that the co-eds have stepped right up to the head of the class and received higher grades than the men during the school year just closed. The survey was made by Mary Ross Potter, Dean of Women of Northwestern University among colleges in Illinois. Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, and Iowa. Educators in all of these states agreed that women were better students and received higher marks than men. Girls greatly excel men in mathematics or any other subject requiring attention in detail, it was shown. <laughs> Hell yeah. I thought that was lovely and shocking to see you <laughs> in 1921. Oh yeah, you didn't see that too often. Well, hardly ever. So, like, I stayed in the year 1921, and the amount of remarks uh, to women are all over the place. Even in this very paper that I got this out of, there was, like, an ask Doris about, like, is it okay if my boyfriend stays past 11 p.m.? And Doris is like, honey, you've been together for a year and a half. If you don't have a ring on it, no, he shouldn't be there at all. You tramp. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs)
0: I've got, um, there was this burglar, or possibly a couple burglars, really just haunting this town of Luling, Texas. Luling. Yes. And, uh, this is, uh, one of their, the burglars' visits. Luling's burglar visited the home of Thomas Hodges last night and took all the food out of the safe in the dining room, spread it out on the table, and proceeded to eat a hearty meal. Members of the family heard a noise and went to investigate, but found nothing but the remains of the visitor's meal. However, after they had gone back to bed, they heard someone climbing out of a back window on a tub that he had placed there when getting into the house.
1: He's just hungry. Yeah.
0: Everybody gets hungry.
1: Minneapolis, gather round, boys. Philip Thomas went fishing today at Christmas Lake. He had a firecracker left over from the 4th of July. Thomas lit it and threw it into the water. Up came a fighting-mad big mouth bass. The cracker disappeared amid a swirl and splash. Then came an explosion! A two-pound bass came to the surface on its back. Philip went out in a rowboat and got the fish. It still had a piece of the fuse in its mouth.
0: Whoa! I've got uh, an interesting little escape here. Free, she says, trips right out of jail. I've been released in court and just came back to get my packages," said Edna Miller as she was returned to the county jail from the probation office in the municipal courts building across the street, picking up several parcels belonging to her. She walked out. The police are now seeking her for her statement about being released was untrue. So there are, there's a few more ways than Tom Sims says to get out of trouble.
1: It's true. <laughs> Girl hurt and leap from window to evade arrest. Miss mm-hmm. Grace Tightkin, 23, leapt from the third story of her home at 741 East 11th Street yesterday afternoon to escape a Mount Vernon constable and sustained internal injuries, which were said at Bellevue Hospital to be critical. The girl's fall was broken by a clothesline in the yard below the window. Oh, she literally got clotheslined. According to the police, Miss Teetkin was recently arrested in connection with the theft of a diamond ring and was released on condition that restitution was made.
0: Mm -hmm. This is one from a series that they had in the Austin American in 1914 where it would just be little tidbits from across the country, but they definitely um, they end them on a nice, sarcastic note. And uh, I, I enjoy it. So, a Chicago woman who testified that her husband came home with talcum powder on his shoulder was granted a divorce. As he explained the incriminating evidence by saying that he took a waitress, who was suffering with a toothache, to the dentist and that she fainted in his arms on the way, Evidently, the court granted the divorce on the ground that no woman should be compelled to live with a man entirely devoid of inventive genius. (laughs) I love it. He is too dumb to be married to you.
1: Well, and there is such thing as maybe too dumb to do crime. So, uh, a millionaire's grandchild, Margaret Eloise Torrens, nine months old, a nursing baby, was kidnapped from her mother at Pompton Lakes, New Jersey, yesterday morning. The child was in her... Perambulator outside the opulent bungalow of John Simpson, millionaire silk manufacturer and bank director of the Patterson. Her mother was beside her. An automobile drew up and four men rushed at the mother, knocked her down, and picked up the baby and were off. Three of the kidnappers have not been identified. The fourth is Alfred Torrens, 30, father of the baby, and son of wealthy Cubans. Mrs. Torrens is the daughter of John Simpson. The Simpsons and Torrens' mother live within a block of each other, and the romance of the young Cuban and daughter of the millionaire dates back 12 years. Oh. The Simpsons bitterly opposed the match, and two years ago, the pair eloped. Last January, the Torrens' couple separated, the wife keeping her little baby. So, um, maybe cover your face if you're going to kidnap your own child. <laughs> yeah, right. Might be a good idea. <laughs> oh, I don't know who three of them were, but one of them was my <laughs> husband. <Yeah. laughs> so can you go pick him up and get my baby back? Because I'm pretty sure he's the one that kept the baby. <laughs> I would think if you'd been with somebody for that long,
0: even if they cover their face, you'd at least know their like movements, you know? Maybe, but their faces were not obscured. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not, I know. But like when Jackson used to play hockey... I mean, we'd only been together for, I don't know, like five, six, seven years at that point. But, you know, even without looking for his jersey, I was able to pinpoint him on the ice because I just I know how my husband moves, you know. So I don't know. Uh, Tom Sims says many blushing June brides are back from their honeymoon already and blushing over a hot stove. Oh. He gets a little too much delight out of that. Apparently. Um. Is there
1: fire in this story?
0: Speaking of, uh, well, there, I don't have fire, but I have arsenic. And I have something here that I don't understand, so maybe you can help me understand it. Okay. So, arsenic of lead used for baking powder poisons seven. <laughs> 1914, Giddings, Texas. The use of arsenic of lead instead of baking powder in making biscuits came near killing two families at the town of Lincoln near here yesterday. A Mr. Grant had moved from the farm of F.H. Jones near Lincoln and left in the house several cooking utensils and some groceries with Walter Zimmerman and Gerhard Behrens, who had been assisting him to move. When the men carried the supplies home, a baking powder can was taken from the lot of supplies, and the can happened to contain arsenic of lead instead of baking powder. A teaspoonful of the lead was used in a batch of bread for the two families. As a result, both men, their wives, and seven children were poisoned. In less than two hours, a physician was summoned, and the persons were seriously ill, but today the parents are much better, and the children are slowly recovering. All right, so two things. First of all, it says making biscuits first, and then later says making bread.
1: Nah, I'll, I'll forgive that, because biscuits are bread. I know, but the thing is, is that
0: when I was trying to figure this out, I Googled, because I was like, okay, so what role does baking powder play in making biscuits? Would you notice if, you know, that whatever scientific reaction happens makes it rise it makes it rise it makes, it makes it crusty if you don't have baking powder you basically have pancakes yeah so if and i'm sure something similar for bread air so,
1: pockets you see i don't understand how you wouldn't notice that something was amiss you wouldn't notice until it was made but then you're going to eat
0: it at some point and you're going to be like, well, this doesn't look like a biscuit or bread. This looks like a pancake.
1: Maybe maybe something went wrong. I mean, like, think of it like this. You might you might get it out regardless of what it is and be like, this is really dense. This is definitely not your best work, but I'm polite, so I'm not going to say anything and I'm going to eat it anyway. Maybe, yeah. And especially, like, several of them were children. Yeah, the kids aren't going to say anything. They're just happy to have bread. Yeah, right. So, um, what else you got? Oh. My turn.
0: I mostly have the rest of what I have mostly is um, matrimony articles. Or not articles, but like, you know, um, one ads for
1: a a husband or a wife. Uh, I chose violence. So um, you do happy, I'll do angry. (laughs) I Um, didn't say they were happy. So Heat starts Razor Milk Can Duel. Oh, wow. One hurt, two arrested. In keeping with the weather, it was a warm fight which Frank Magno, 33, a barber of Brooklyn, and his next-door neighbor, Severia Malfitimo, 37, a grocer, staged on the sidewalk last night. Drawing a razor, Magno slashed the grocer on the scalp, across the nose, and in the chest. Malfitimo retaliated by bouncing a milk can off of the barber's head. Hmm. Tony Grillo, 25, a fruit salesman, in trying to play the part of Peacemaker, was cut in the left arm. The scrap drew the the reserves of the 5th Avenue station and two ambulances. Malfitimo and Magno were held on charges of felonious assault. I just think that's hilarious because they were using what they know from their jobs.
0: (laughs) Well, that's resourceful and smart. So, yeah, this was in the late 18th, early, sorry, late 19th, early 20th century. I always do that. And um, people would just put ads in the paper, basically, you know. Um, what what are they called nowadays? Oh, my God. My brain is totally blanking on what the actual, like, the ads in the paper when you're like, hey, you know. The
1: Lonely Hearts Club.
0: Well, Lonely Hearts, yeah, that's, oh, my gosh, seriously personal ads personal ads thank you oh my gosh i don't know why my brain could not do that so it's the proto personal ads essentially so um young man 32 years would be pleased to correspond with young lady who would appreciate a true gentleman no objection to widow catholics or flirts need not apply Businessman, often in city, wishes to meet well educated lady of nice appearance, one living at home, age 26 to 30, dark hair, no illiterates or adventuresses need answer. Object matrimony. Um, respectable gentleman of 25 wishes to meet respectable working girl. It meant a different thing back then. Yeah, okay. From 19 to 23, who, at least I think it did, who would like to become a true wife in May is in February. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Somebody's in a hurry. Triflers, please don't answer.
1: Oh, my goodness. So, this this is not uh, a personal ad. It sounds like it could be. Woman accuses another, but in court, they kiss. Ooh. So, I, I had high hopes with, with that headline, but it's not everything I wanted it to be. Mm. Pretty... Pretty Edna R. Wilsey of Oswego, New York, was arraigned yesterday before Judge Talley and General Sessions charged with grand larceny. She was accused of the theft of $140 in cash and clothing from Miss Rose Riley, a student nurse in Manhattan State Hospital on Wards Island. Wearing a skirt and shirtwaist alleged to have been stolen from the nurse, Miss Wilsey, who also was a nurse, smiled gaily as she entered court. "'Hello, Rose,' she called to the woman who had come to accuse her. Then she hugged and kissed Miss kissed Riley, who returned the greeting. This exchange of affection softened Miss Riley's heart, and she told the court she did not wish to press the charge. Superintendent Hyman of the hospital, however, insisted that she be prosecuted. Miss Wilsey was brought here from Bath, New York. She is also accused of having stolen a $250 diamond ring and $70 from a woman of Corning, New York, who befriended her while they rode on a train. Miss Wilsey was released on probation. So she shows up, this bitch, shows up to court in the stolen outfit and then gives her a big hug and kiss and the girl's like, oh... Oh, the popular girl's paying attention to me. No charges. No charges.
0: You know, it looks better on you anyhow. (laughs)
1: Like, what the hell? Blew my mind.
0: All right, here's a couple of fun matrimony ads. An up-to-date young farmer, stopping in the city temporarily, desires to meet or correspond with a young lady between 18 and 23 years of age. Farmer's daughter preferred. Must be brunette. Also true Christian. No flirts or dancers need answer. Object matrimony. So that's one way to advertise yourself. Here is another. I am a large, fleshy, plain, common bachelor. 50. Wish to meet a single lady, good-natured disposition. Um, The rest is just his travel plans, essentially. Uh, There was one gentleman here who actually put a word count requirement into his... um, into his ad for for, the, for your response. And uh, for some reason, I can't find it, but it was something along the lines of, you know, response must be between... Oh, sorry, sorry I did find it. Here we go. Uh, man aged 30 years, wishes to correspond with lady, aged not more than 25 years, nor under 18 years, give full particulars in first letter, must not write more than 135, nor under 120 words. <laughs> I am a railroad man, salary $100 per month. Object matrimony. I think he wants to make sure he doesn't get anyone who's either too quiet or not quiet enough. And this is his, his method of going about that. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, it's one way to go about it. And uh, if you uh, find that the object of matrimony has uh, been achieved or you, you want to go ahead and, and make that leap... Here is, uh, again, from the personal ads, a way that you can go about that. It's easy. Pop the question with a set of our proposal cards. By mail, 10 cents. Now, if you are having trouble getting there, here's an ad that can help you. It's kind of similar to one that you you had before, but it it gets a little bit more specific, I guess. How big is your bust? (laughs) Dr. Conway's bustoids... Oh, my. (laughs) It's the only remedy on Earth which enlarges the bust 4 to 10 inches. No injury, no appliances, no poisons. Home treatment, $1,000 if we
1: can't. (laughs) Wow. Bustoids. (laughs) So I have uh, two short ones for you that uh, could play off of the personal ads. This is uh, why you should be cautious about those. (laughs) Uh, Girl fights rejected suitor as he draws gun. When Miss Lillian Sassio, 3 DeVoe Street, refused to elope with the suitor she had rejected, he pressed a revolver against her head yesterday. The girl kept her nerve and fought for the gun. Two shots were fired, one of them going wild, and the other striking Pascal Lombardo. Three hundred ninety-four Leonard Street. In the hand, he was arrested. So she fought and won. And then uh, the second little, little one, Miss Brandeis's divorce wins four hundred thousand dollar alimony.
0: Damn.
1: In Omaha, April 25th of 1921, Miss Madeline Brandeis, wife of E. John Brandeis, whose father, deceased, was one of the owners of Stern's Brothers store in New York, gets divorced in a day and four hundred thousand dollars alimony, which is a good deal even today. So
0: nineteen twenty-one, you said? Mm-hmm. Six
1: point
0: seven million. Wowza. Yeah. That is uh, no small chunk of change. Wow. Okay, I have one more cute one and then some recipe, a couple recipes, just two. Okay. Okay, so. Organized Dog Town. This is actually from Constantinople. A community of dogs complete with a president and a legislative body has been organized by Frederick Gill, English dog trainer. He has taught his dogs to hold meetings, to put motions before the house, and to vote on them through a series of barks
1: and movements of the tail. That is adorable. Isn't it? I love adorable things. Like this 11-year-old who was uh, arrested by police. An 11-year-old girl arrested for shoplifting... I can't say words! <laughs> An 11-year-old girl arrested for shoplifting in the department store of L. Klein at 14th and Hasted Street, Chicago kept the Maxwell Street Police and Juvenile Officer John Duty <laughs> guessing for hours. What's your name, she was asked. Susan Rose, and I live at 633 West 24th Place, she answered without hesitation. When the officers' backs were turned, she darted towards an open door. So Susan Rose was taken to the juvenile detention home for safekeeping. Gee, them fellers was easy, she confided to one of the assistants. My name's not Susan Rose at all. Yes, smart girl. It's Carmilla Polino, and I live at 7351 South Lincoln Street, and I played hooky from school.
0: <laughs> so if you do have more, we can keep going. I have some that I would basically use like emojis to classify them. The ones that I've given you so far were fire. I do have some thumbs-ups remaining, um, but I've given you my best. I still have some good stuff, but it's your call.
1: Um, I have given you some good ones, and I can always save some of these for later. Do you just want to do uh, old-timey newspapers all summer? Because I feel like having a really lazy summer. No, I think that would be boring for our listeners. Yeah, you're probably right. But I I will give you this one in case you want the picture for it. Bob may decide passion killing. Whether Miss Teresa Ciliano... Had her hair cut to this bob before her arrest for killing her rival, Marie Nicolini, 19, may decide her fate in New Jersey murder trial. Defense says it was bobbed after arrest. Witness said a bobbed-haired woman ran from the murder scene. Hmm. So did she get her bob before or <laughs> after?
0: I do have um a wonderful bigamy story which has um, the most obvious headline in the world, love is killed by infidelity.
1: Hmm. You, you freaking
0: think a uh, girl of 20 who endured poverty and suffering demands pay. Uh, this, this is from uh, Detroit, 1925. At the age of 16, Gladys Marion we met, daughter of Samuel, we met, and by her own statement, a cousin of Francis Mitchell, we met, the golfer, left a comfortable home to marry John Labau, a 19-year-old magazine solicitor, and live in a shack. Through poverty and privation, their happiness survived. Three babies came, a girl, another girl, and then a boy. Saving and borrowing was necessary, but love survived in spite of all. It survived Labau's arrest on a charge of desertion in April 1923. When he was freed on probation, the happy home life was resumed. But Mrs. Labau's love died, or so she said. Her husband was arrested by the police for the sheriff of Van Buren County. It is alleged that on Armistice Night, he took Margaret Mildred Linge de to a dancing party in her hometown Paw, and that they were married the following day. Labau is said to have admitted the charge, explaining weakly that he was drunk. Mrs. LeBau, now 20, says she wants nothing more of him except... Support for herself and her three babies. I took him back once, and then comes this suffering. I'm all through. I don't know if I'll help the other girl, but I certainly will not help him. He has never given me a home and has never been able to support his family. You have no idea what I've been through since I married him. In Maycomb County, we lived in a temporary shack, and you could see the sky through the roof. For two years, I haven't gone out to a movie or anything, but he has gone to dances and drinking bouts while he was on the road. I had an idea about a month ago that something was wrong, some new trouble. He asked me one night if I would send him over the road, if he ever committed bigamy. I told him I would decide if he ever did. Now he has got to pay for all the misery he has cost me. I'll give him the full extent of the law. He will have to support my children and myself. If he is not convicted of bigamy, there will be other charges against him. Will I marry again? Not me. I'm through with him and with men, and I won't divorce him either. I don't intend to let the other woman have him, and I want to keep him where I can make him take care of the children. That is my only concern now. I just like that she's like... (gasps) He can't have a divorce. She's also like, I thought something was maybe a little bit wrong last month when he was like, so if I committed bigamy, would you have me sent to jail? Just um, Just hypothetical. Wondering. Totally rhetorical.
1: Not based in any reality or thoughts that I've had recently. I know a guy at work that, was. I'm just curious. It's a thought
0: experiment.
1: Speaking of thought experiments, I am really curious about your recipes.
0: Okay, I have some recipes for you. I have two of them. I would really love it if somebody would try out the first one for like, I don't know, like a picnic or something. Because it's this weird combination that I can't quite... It's like two different things. Okay, so it's deviled macaroni. And this was from a, like a recipe contest. Boil in salty water for 20 minutes, one half package macaroni. All right, so drain it in a colander, um, put it in a buttered baking dish, make a sauce from one and a half cupfuls of milk, teaspoonful each of butter and flour, a half teaspoonful of mustard, teaspoonful of onion juice, salt spoonful of salt, and 10 drops Tabasco sauce. Pour this sauce over the macaroni, Sprinkle the top with buttered breadcrumbs and cook in the oven until a delicate brown. All right, so this is like somehow a combination between mac and cheese. And macaroni salad. Yeah, it's like baked macaroni salad or something. Hmm. And I can't help but wonder how the heck this would taste. I kind of think it would be good. I'm actually a little curious about that one. Now, um, for this recipe contest, they did uh, ask... The submitters included how many people it served and the total cost. Um, This was six persons and estimated to be 10 cents. Wow. Yeah. And then I have one more that I just could not understand at all because I have to have a a completely befuddling recipe if if I can every time. I'm usually like, oh, man, I got to find a recipe. This is going to take forever. And then two minutes later, I'm like, got it. (laughs) So this is steamed tomatoes with cream sauce. Yum. I know you hate tomatoes, don't you? Yeah, you hate... No, I love tomatoes. No, wait, you hate... You hate some form of tomatoes. No, you don't hate tomatoes. Who hates That's... tomatoes? Don't. Not me.
1: I'll eat anything twice. That's right, you will. Okay,
0: somebody hates tomatoes.
1: It's driving me crazy. All right. I don't like um, oysters. No, I don't either. Because I... I... I need to chew the food that I eat.
0: (laughs) Steam six tomatoes, peel and place on squares of toast. Are we not slicing at any point here? Uh, The sauce, melt two tablespoons of butter and mix with one heaping tablespoon of flour. Add one pint milk, season with salt and cayenne and boil until thick. Hard boil three eggs, chop the whites into the sauce, mix and pour into a dish. Garnish, top with yolks, mashed fine. Serve each plate with a tomato on toast and sum up the sauce. First of all, we always have to have hard-boiled eggs. Always. (laughs) Always have to have hard-boiled eggs in there. And I've just, I've never that I know of had hard-boiled egg whites in a sauce like that.
1: It makes it chunky for you.
0: Yeah, I would think it would. Which adds some texture, which can be nice depending on if you like texture. I personally am a person who is okay with the texture of the whites of hard-boiled eggs, but I don't like the texture of the yolks. That's fair. So I, I don't like it. It's usually like
1: dry
0: and... Yeah,
1: it's weird. Yeah, so... Well, I too have a recipe. Ooh, I'm excited. I don't know what year this is from. Uh, unfortunately, I, I had found it. It was uh, a picture from somebody's cookbook, and so I don't know what year this is from, but I thought you might appreciate it. It is a banana salmon salad. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Three ripe bananas diced, a half cup diced canned pineapple, one and a half cups canned salmon, a quarter cup diced celery, a half a teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of chopped pickle, mayonnaise to moisten. <clears throat> Mix bananas and pineapple together. Add flake salmon. Fold in remaining ingredients. Garnish with crisp lettuce or other greens and lemon slices. Serves eight. That is truly
0: horrifying. Mm -hmm. I do have to say that recipes used to be so much simpler. It was basically like, here's all your ingredients. Now just toss them all together, garnish with lettuce. You're done. (laughs) You're done. Like, every recipe was like... Maybe took up two inches of space, if that. Oh, yeah. Now it's pages. You now it's pages and pages. And that's not even, we're not even necessarily talking about, you know, the thing that everybody complains about with recipe websites where it has to be, you know, like. Jump to recipe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, oh, my gosh. That is, that is one of the more horrifying that I've ever heard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's
1: all sorts of flavors in there. That's way too many different flavors. Banana, pineapple, pickle uh salmon celery yeah I, I can't even
0: imagine just the, the the textures not even counting the the tastes just the textures of celery and banana together no yeah no
1: yeah there's no a lot going to on the there the devil with you but I found <laughs> it and I felt the need to share you can go to the devil and make him banana salmon salad I will
0: so funny all right well um I think that's that was pretty good it was pretty fun Um, I think that's all we got, right? Yep, that is it. Okay, well, we have a couple of patrons to say hello and welcome to. So, uh, I'm going to get up my singing voice here. Alright, so welcome to the Patreon, Brian Aho. Hi, Brian. Ashley Rolls. Hello, Ashley. And where did it go? Tanya Fletcher! Hey there, Tanya. (laughs) Took me a minute. I really need to, like, start putting these in their own folder. Uh, If I'm not going to write it down, (laughs) that would probably make my life easier. Or you could just write it down.
1: Or I could just write it down. Yeah, that's also an option.
0: But I'm not gonna. (laughs) So, all right, what are you doing this week?
1: I am uh, putting up a fence around my garden. And uh, hopefully that will keep the bunnies from eating all my pots.
0: As you have no idea how proud I am of Amber, she has turned from somebody who could kill a plant by being in the same room as it to somebody who actually has like a flourishing summer uh, vegetable garden. I, it's going to be flourishing. I feel like
1: flourishing is a strong word. So basically I learned that if I want people to think that I am good at gardening, I just need to plant 500 things and 100 of them might grow. <laughs> so that is what I've been doing. Um, It's a numbers game. It is. It it is. And honestly, I think that uh, of all the things, my tomatoes are going to do the best. Knock on wood. But they seem to be the most promising at this time. Maybe we can have some tomatoes and hard-boiled egg sauce.
0: Yum. Yum. (laughs) I am... I've started a new medication as of uh, this week for my chronic pain. So we're seeing how that's going. So far, I think it's helping a little, a tiny, tiny bit. So that gives me hope because this takes time, you know. So that's nice. It's, it's really good to have a little bit of friggin' hope. Um, it also seems to be, so far, helping with my hyperhidrosis, with my excessive sweating. So that would be really amazing if this could like knock out two of the main things that plague my life. Yeah. Like, really the only thing I would need it to do uh, other than that is, like, uh, turn my eyebrow brunette and um,
1: clear up my IBS. You don't need that. <laughs>
0: then it would be a true miracle drug.
1: <laughs> yeah. You could always just get your eyebrows tattooed.
0: I know, but I've never really wanted to do that. I always worry it's too permanent.
1: Yeah, well, that's Because, like, if, are...
0: they, if they do a bad job.
1: Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, like
0: then I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah. So, because God knows I, I will color in my eyebrows, and there's been plenty of times where I've had to do it two or three times before I get it even close to right. And even Jackson said uh, last weekend when I did it, I, he, he's, he's really good at putting his foot in his mouth in the most hilarious ways. And I was like, how do my eyebrows look? And he's like, oh, that's the first time I've liked them. It's <laughs> like, Jesus, man. Do you, like, not like being married to me or something? Are you, like, trying to do something? He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs>
1: well played, sir. We know you tried.
0: He just explained to me that he actually prefers it better when my eyebrows are the half and half. Because this is an audio medium, but you can't see me. But I have one light eyebrow and one dark eyebrow. And my eyelashes are the same.
1: Because she ate her twin. Cause, uh, yeah, it's Amber's theory. <laughs> Christy did the first crime out of the two of us. I mean, I was... Uh, I was In utero. <sighs> I mean, that's impressive.
0: I was an in utero cannibal,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is definitely going to be the subtitle of my memoir. It should be. Memoirs of an in utero cannibal. It's really going to be a little bit of a bait and switch, though, because I don't actually remember that. <laughs> so... Um, people are going to be a little bit disappointed, but I'll throw some drama in there to make up for it. Yeah, yeah. I'll James Fry some shit. (laughs) Make it up. (laughs) And then the aliens came and abducted me. All right. Um, well, that is our show. Come over to our Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We have so many episodes over there.
1: Tons and tons.
0: So much good stuff. Uh, We've had a lot of fun telling each other crazy stories that we find in the old newspapers. And uh, I'm desperately trying to remember what we told each other the other day because we recorded on separate days, which we don't normally do. Um, Did I tell you my... No, it wasn't the Icelandic story this week. Oh, my gosh. I have no memory.
1: Holy shit. Uh, I told you about uh, a woman's horrible death stopping the KKK. Oh, yes, you did.
0: Yes, yes. I am able to uh, look at mine, but still not able, like the, the file name, but still not able to remember what the heck I told you about. I'm sure it was very memorable and very good. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Everything blends together. And once I'm done with the case, I try to put it out of my mind and move on. So, all right. That is our show, and thank you very much for listening. And uh, don't put
1: arsenic in your biscuits accidentally. Um, <laughs> don't jump three stories into a clothesline. That seems painful. Yeah, yeah, that seems that seems like it wouldn't end well. So, all right, bye, bye.